Glass Ceiling comes to you from our studio located at the Barangaroo Precinct. Startup Daily would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay respects to their ancestors, both past and present. Hello and welcome to Glass Ceiling. My name is Gina Baldessari. And I'm James Ward. If this is your first time tuning in, Glass Ceiling is a new fortnightly podcast from the team at Startup Daily, looking to tackle the issues around diversity in the startup ecosystem in a way that inspires and educates the leaders of tomorrow. That's right. And our guest for this episode is Julie Dempsey, the General Manager of SBE Australia, the organisation focused on helping develop women-led startups. Um, so just to start, Julie, can you tell us what brought you to Australia and to taking on the role with Springboard? Um, I actually came to Australia on holiday about a year ago, and I attended an event or two um, dealing with the startup ecosystem. And I heard a lot of people talking about the fact that Silicon Valley was kind of mecca. And I really thought there are a lot of good things going on in the Silicon Valley, but there are probably a lot of lessons to learn that we don't want to repeat. And I really liked it here (laughs) and thought, you know, I could come back and really have an impact on the ecosystem here and help people to kind of move forward in a way, taking the good from Silicon Valley and hopefully leaving behind the bad. And when I came here, I met Topaz Conway early on, who is the chair of um, SBE Australia. And she started talking to me about coming on and joining. And I wasn't quite sure if that's what I wanted to do or not. And then I attended an event where I heard some of the alums speaking and learned a lot more about the programs that were run. And I went up to Topaz at the end of the event and said, okay, I'm ready. (laughs) I'm (laughs) I'm in. Yeah, because it really um, fits nicely with what I was hoping to accomplish here, which is helping companies build um, scalable, sustainable kind of happy, healthy companies. And really, that's what the program is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And now that you're working there, what makes you so passionate about working at Springboard? Sure. I think it's really important to help get women to have an equal foothold in this space. As we know, the numbers aren't too terrific in terms of the diversity between um, men and women in the space. And the programs that we run really help women get that even footing in the industry to be able to have the networks they need to surround them and the capital, um, access to capital to really grow their big businesses. Yeah, absolutely. And that sort of struggle um, for women in the scene um, and discrimination in many cases, was that something you ever experienced yourself back in the States? Well, being in the startup space for the past 20 years over there, especially earlier on in my career, well, and even later on, there were very often times when I'd be in the room with 18 men. <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't like to focus on that too much because I think it's really important for each person to really own the work they're doing and move forward. But I think there is a lot of um, subconscious bias. I don't think anybody ever intended and, and this comes across sometimes from men and women as well, because it's the way we're raised. Um, and it's not often intentional. Sometimes it is. You know, I've heard comments made. Um, 
But yeah, I'm definitely passionate about that. And I spent a lot of my career while I was in the States without really thinking about it too consciously myself, mentoring women who were coming behind me to help them to propel, propel their careers there. So it was kind of a natural fit for me to come um, and start working on behalf of SBE Australia to help move women in their companies forward. Yeah, that's great to hear that you never actually experienced any scenario that was kind of overt because I think it's easy to, you know, particularly working in the media and reading media um, as we do every day to see stories and it sort of casts like a a dark shadow because all you read is sort of negativity Um, and it's easy to sort of think, well, is this... Is this the world that we're yeah. living in? Well, and I wouldn't say that I didn't experience anything. I just choose not to dwell on those or talk about those ex- experiences because I think it's more important to do something about changing it going forward than looking backwards at what had happened. Yeah. And so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now because we can work together then to change what's happening going forward by empowering women to um, and supporting them to build the big companies that are really going to make a difference. Yeah. And that... Uh, foundation that you were talking about before the fact that a lot of people perhaps uh, have these kind of subconscious pre-notions where do you think that comes from and is it something that's difficult to break? Well I think it's how we're raised. I mean if you look at children and you know the toys for boys and the toys for girls and I was just speaking with somebody the other day who um, has come very far in his career and is really trying very hard to be conscious about these things and he said it never even occurred to me till somebody pointed out to me that at the end of the day we'd gather the guys and say hey let's go grab a beer (laughs) and they wouldn't ask they didn't even think to ask the women to come along because it was just kind of a guys thing. And that very word in and of, in and of itself, I call everybody guys, right? You know, and, and, and I'm, trying, I'm trying to change that <laughs> because it's just little things like that, that there's subconscious messages. Now that you've sort of had that comparison between seeing how things are in the States and seeing how things are here, um, in terms of things like you know equality, um, particularly in the workplace, was there much of a difference that you noticed between the Valley and Australia and Sydney? Yeah. Um, it's a little bit hard to say because being an American here, I don't know if I'm treated differently than Australian females. So I can say that my personal experience has been in the Sil- Silicon Valley. There are times when I, where I've had a seat at the table but not felt like I was listened to. And so while I was overtly given that seat at the table, um, I wasn't necessarily there. Whereas here, I think people um, are a little bit open, more open about how they speak about things. You're not as politically correct. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) So there might be some statements made that don't seem quite as politically correct as they would have in the States. But here I always feel like I have a voice and I'm being heard when I'm sitting at that table. So for me, my experience here has been much more positive in that way because I feel like I can have a larger impact. That's really great. And, you know, sort of stepping back to when you were at the Valley and dealing with these experiences, obviously you don't have to specify where or when, but (laughs) was it something that like a, a pattern almost that pertained to what type of companies in terms of like sizes and, and things like that that it happened in? Like was it from what, you know, your smallest startup to your biggest company or? 
from my, my experience, I think it's across the board. And I think it really depends about the individuals who are at those companies. And I think, you know, you hear about kind of that bro mentality in the Silicon Valley. And I, I think it's bred there to a certain extent. Um, and the problem is when it's tolerated and people aren't speaking about it, um, or you've read stories about where where people have come up and said something and they've kind of been banished from the company and I'm, I'm again not going to name names but <laughs> we course. we've all read a lot of the same stories you know i think it's unfortunate i think really what's going to help with this is the work again that we're doing at sb australia helping to grow these big companies that are female-led and bringing that diversity in, the more companies we have like that, the more employees that are going to be trained under this level of diversity. And employees, as you know, don't always stay in the same company. And as they move out and proliferate into more and more companies, um, I think that's where we're going to get the change. Absolutely. I've spoken to now probably quite a number of um, startups who have come out of um, Springboard over the last like three or four years and essentially all of them are great to talk to in that they well they know how to speak yeah. <laughs> um, which is one thing but they're incredibly confident in, in the best way possible um, yep. I think as well in that they're always willing to talk about anything essentially and go deep and answer questions um, and they all sort of said to me whenever I asked them about it well this is something that was taught to me at Springboard without me even suggesting that. Like, yep, Springboard, that's why I'm so confident. It's like, yeah. oh, that's great. <laughs> um, is that so, that's deliberate, though, isn't it? To sort oh, of very much that. so. Yeah. Very much so. And also what you're talking about is also pe- people who are being very open and giving back. And as we're taking applications in to the program, that's something that I know for this past class I personally spoke to and in the, co- the cohorts before was spoken to. We're trying to build a community. And so it's really important to us that we have people coming into the program who are looking to benefit from that, but are also looking to give back. And that's very deliberate because it's important to build that community and help that continue to grow. Absolutely. And a number of the the founders who come through, they come back as mentors, don't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So when you're handpicking them originally, obviously it's only a select number, unfortunately. Right. Um, <laughs> the, you know, the nature of an accelerator. Um what do you look for in these founders? Well, we're looking for people who are coachable, first of all, who are passionate about their businesses, who understand what their businesses are and know that they're able to scale and who are looking to scale. Um, because not every company needs to become large and not mm. every founder wants to have a really big business. Uh, but we feel we can have the best impact by working with women who are really looking to build those substantial companies and have a global presence one day. Brilliant. And some that I spoke to, I noticed that when I sort of asked them about expanding to the States, because obviously Springboard has, I mean, you yourself, (laughs) an incredible network um, to Silicon Valley, but a lot of them weren't, they weren't even too concerned about the States in particular. They were just always thinking about, yeah, how am I going to, to scale my business in any sort of capacity, that, no matter where it is? Is that something that's sort of drilled upon as well? Oh, very much so. So while we do have um, with SBE Australia and the Springboard program, a very strong connection with the U.S. And obviously, have, having been there for a number of years, I've got a big big network as well. And Topaz Conway um, does the same. But it's really all about what is the best way to grow your business and where do you want 
want to and need to be to do that. Now, Australia is a very large country, but a smaller market. And once you've penetrated (laughs) um, the full country, obviously you need to expand elsewhere. And the United States is often a very fertile ground for that. Um, China and other places make sense as well. So it's really all about the individual company and what makes sense for them in terms of their expansion. Did anything... I guess the word would be surprise you um, when you when you came here and, and started this work in terms of maybe the startups that you saw applying or coming through. I'd th- say the thing that surprises me the most or has been, been having gone through one round, <clears throat> excuse me, with the current cohort is just how much growth they've had from the first day that they walked in to the first day of our boot camp to um, presenting at our dolphin tank at the end of the coaching period at the end. It was truly remarkable how much they had grown. And it was really, I mean, I, I was just so touched by seeing all of that. I felt kind of like a proud mama. Um, <laughs> just seeing how, how far they've come in. And it's really, it's gaining that confidence. It's gaining that understanding of their business. And it's being able to really own who they are and what their business is all about. And it's really impressive to see. Absolutely. And um, I guess now to touch on, I could call it the darker side of <laughs> of things and, you know, sort of having to handpick businesses. I saw in a an article, I think you had sort of been written in the Australian um, publication about um particularly talking about silicon valley the pursuit of the unicorn yes um yeah (laughs) something that sort of leaves potentially great startups behind and without capital without opportunity is that something that you had experience in the states and you're trying to remedy um now that you're here Absolutely. And that's, that's why our programs are so important. You know, we can't let everybody in. There's only so many people we can serve. We're a not-for-profit organization. Um, but it's important to us to support all of the companies that we bring onto our fold. And we, we like to say uh, we're like the, the song, The Hotel California. Um, you can check out, but you can never leave. And that's really important to us. We're bringing all of the companies along. Uh, we're supporting the women who go through the program along with their companies if they have an exit from a company, um, which we've been fortunate to have some very positive um, exits. Um, we continue to support the women in their next ventures as well. And so that's a difference that I see, at least in our program, is we're all about each of the companies and supporting them. Yes, we want to see them grow and raise capital, but if somebody's not at that stage, um, that doesn't mean we leave them behind. That means we we continue to help and support them. Absolutely. And you yourself, you know, having so much experience behind you, you've probably seen a lot of startups, um, particularly having worked in the Valley Work to them yourself. Um, like when you're looking at these cohorts and these applications that come through, can you ever anything like take any anything at all to sort of say that that might be a potential unicorn, or is the idea to just push that idea out of your head and just think, well, this is an even playing field. Let's forget about it, that. It, that. That's not at all what we're looking for. We're we're looking at companies that can go grow to be big, sustainable companies. Um, but we never sit in a room and say, we're going to bet on that one. <laughs> um, we think that's going to be a unicorn. And, you know, I wouldn't even comment on that for any of the companies who've just come come through. I think 
there might be some potential there, but that's not what in, what's important. What's important is growing those companies in a way that's really sustainable. And if you're focusing on becoming a unicorn, a lot of times you lose the perspective of what you're trying to do for your business. So, you know, there are some folks out there who, in order to get to unicorn status, say you've got to double your sales every month or you've got to double this or that every month. And you know what? That's not necessarily the right way to grow the business. And you might be doing some really stupid things short term to hit those numbers. So let's make sure that we're building companies. When I say, when I use the word sustainable, I mean that you're sustaining that business so that they can continue to grow. So you had mentioned earlier that there are a lot of mistakes and and things that you saw in the Valley that you didn't want to continue over into Australia um, and you thought you could impact. Um, I guess, talk me through what those things were. Yeah. Well, I I think we were just talking about the unicorn and, (laughs) and, and I think, you know, going in that direction where that's your only focus, I think that's a problem. And not supporting companies who aren't going to reach that status. There's so many great companies out there that can grow and be completely successful. And they're important to have. And you've got great people working for them, doing great work. And I think that's a lesson to learn. Let's support all of these companies. Not let's not just pick the one that we think is going to have, you know, the the right X amount of return. Um, I don't think that's the only value there is. I think the other thing is, and this is part of something that I'm hoping, by the nature of being in Australia, um, theoretically lifestyle is better here, right? <laughs> and and let's keep it that way, <laughs> because I think that it is a true fallacy. A true fallacy, does that even make sense? But I think it does. It's a fallacy that you need to work 24-7 to be successful. And I truly believe that everybody needs time off to go back and refresh <laughs> and to have other interests. And yes, there are probably a lot of people that successfully grow companies where they push that hard and work 24-7. But I would argue that if they actually took time to refresh, they took time to do other things, it gives your brain some time off to kind of relax and come back and be even more innovative. And so I think growing responsibly in the way that you're working um, so that you have a little bit more of that balance in life. And I think we need to better define what balance means, right? Because balance doesn't happen every day necessarily. Um, You can't fit everything in. But, you know, yes, you do need to work hard. Yes, you do need to be passionate about your business. But you need to be passionate about life in general um, and be able to step away and have time with family and friends and loved ones and other activities that you enjoy so that you can be your best self and really give to your company what you need to. Yeah, it does. It certainly does raise problems. And at least sort of my perspective um, on that and from what I've you know sort of read um, is it seems like there's at least among some people, like a, a glorification, if you want to call it that, of that lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like this is what you... 
not don't ever overtly say this is what you you should be doing, but it, obviously that's the implication. I I actually had somebody who I did a lot of mentoring with back in the states was trying to make a lifestyle change. She'd had some health issues and she was going to step back from a large company she's working at and thinking about starting something on her own. She said. But I don't know if at the phase that I'm at in life where I have some young kids, I've had some health issues, I don't know that I could actually make this successful because I don't think I can give it 24-7. I said, what in the world made you think you have to give it 24-7 to be successful? And this is somebody who's just worked in that environment for so long and just assumes that's what's expected and necessary. But who, who's ever said that? Who's ever proven that? In fact, I've read studies before. It was, and, and I can't remember the specifics, but it was one of the, the big four firms that basically turned off their servers on Wednesday nights as a test so that people would actually go home, spend time not working, spend time with their families. And productivity increased 20%. 20 20%. That's incredible for one night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and one night a week, not just for that one but week, still, right? Yeah. But on an ongoing period. And that's really important. It speaks to the fact that people do need that time off. Mm. And they do need, you, you need to have, I mean, if you're going to be innovative, thinking about solving the same problem 24 7, you hit a wall, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you had mentioned originally how we even started on this topic that that lifestyle of sort of taking, being able to take a step back was something that you saw more in Australia. Like, is that something that you've seen in the companies that have come through or just the people that you've worked with? Yes and no. (laughs) Right. It's funny because everybody says to me, isn't business so much slower here? And I said, well, (laughs) I'm working with startups. (laughs) So um, I'm not seeing that completely. But I do see that it seems to me that people put higher priority on time with their family and things like that that are really important. Mm. And in terms of <clears throat> talking about even more more differences between the Valley and here, um, in terms of the startups themselves, um, in terms of what sort of areas they're innovating in, um, I've seen a lot of, in particular, health tech startups that have come into Springboard. Yep. Didn't even realize there were that many health techs out there originally. Um is there any sort of differences that you've noticed in terms of what sort of problems, I guess, people seem to be tackling? Well, I think I've seen certain things that I wasn't exposed to in the Silicon Valley, like ag startups and things like that, um, which is really interesting to me because it's such a, a <clears throat> excuse me, a different place than I've played in um, in the past. And I think... And maybe, again, it was where I was focused, but there were so many new apps coming out in the Mm. Silicon Valley, and I'm not seeing as much of that here. And it could Mm -hmm. also be that we're just progressing from from that standpoint. Um, And a lot of it, too, is, you know... Some of the apps, if you look at games and things like that, not there's only so big you can get, and very often they kind of uh, have a quick growth and a quick decline. And so as we're looking at businesses to bring in the program, as I said before, we're looking at that long that longevity and being able to build, build big, sustainable businesses. And we see all different types of businesses um, come through. And we're open to any type of business um, that has that tech component. It's really, I think I see a lot more pro- 
companies here potentially looking to solve problems as well. Because I think traditionally, access to capital has been tighter here. Because it's yeah. a smaller market. Um, and and so that's something I've seen that's positive here too. People look at that as a negative, but I think it's also a positive because you've got to be much smarter about how you grow your business and you've really got to um, have some proof of what's going forward. So at least where, where I'm playing here, I've seen a lot less of, hey, we're going to give you a lot of money for an idea, <laughs> <laughs> which to me you know, more power to those people who who can get there and get that done. Like, I'm not going to pay for an idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they can sell it, then, I mean, they're good at talking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you had mentioned that ag tax, and obviously that's something that in Australia and, you know, places like Israel are in- increasing. Yeah. Um, particularly as you know, these sorts of regional areas, particularly here, gain access to technology. Um, They're educated with the technology. They even realize that, hey, I can actually do something and, you know, like use these sort of knowledge bases I already have. Yeah. Um, Do you think that, because like these people, they tend to be solving a really bulky issue more often than not something they actually have experienced themselves not like i you know i just couldn't find someone for a date so i've made it yeah (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah do you think that i guess in a way makes them just almost instantaneously assuming they have a a good backing like a a better potential for for a high growth business because they're solving something which you you know what looking in the long term this problem's gonna stay around so well absolutely <laughs> you know somebody's solving a real problem um, and it's going to uh, attract a large customer base they have a much better chance of succeeding do you get a lot of ag techs approaching you you know we haven't had too many in our program um, and we didn't have any in this past cohort um, we have a new program that we are starting um, our new uh, E3 Empower Evolve Escalate program, which is just a little bit uh, earlier stage than the Springboard program. And I know that I've seen at least one ag ag tech application come in for that. And I'm I'm super excited about that. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. Um, In terms of talking more about that program, um, can you sort of elaborate to me about what, what the sort of end goal is with the companies that go through that? Yeah. So... As we go through the application process for the Springboard program, we've seen a lot of companies coming through that aren't quite as far along. And so we wanted to be able to service those programs or those companies versus saying, come back next year, (laughs) which a lot of them do. And I think that's another inflection point that's really important to help companies at that stage. And I think the difference there is these are companies that are just starting to get some traction and really need help with their customers getting their market fit right and getting to the point where they can really sell. And so I think that's the step that comes before being able to scale to the point where you need to grow overseas or take on capital. And so our goal is to help those companies that are at that stage to be able to continue on and get to a point where they really need to scale, but to get their business situated and fully understand it and really get that business case solid. Yeah, when you're looking at those applicants um, compared to the, you know, the main accelerator program, is it more 
looking at the solidity of the idea, because um, obviously with the main accelerator, you're looking at yep. the startup grow, yep. um, all these other things. Yeah, are you, is it so, sort of more ground level? Um, not completely, right? We're still looking for companies that are going to be able to grow and scale. Um, and they already need to have a little bit of traction in some format. So it's still, again, looking at who are the founders, because that's a lot of what we're investing in as well, right? You've got to have the, the right founder. Um, are they coachable? Um, because that's really important. Not everybody is. <laughs> <laughs> and taking somebody and helping them through a program like this, if they're just going through the steps for whatever reason, they're not really looking to dig in and learn and learn about themselves and learn about their businesses and take on the network that's going to support them in doing that, then they're not necessarily right for the program. And is there anything else you'd like to say to anyone listening who's thinking about joining Springboard or perhaps even uh, another accelerator program? You know, it, 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 it's easy to put an application in. So, you know, it, whether it's with us or with another program um, or doing it on your own, make, make sure that you go forward because you can do it. Um, but a point you made earlier on, too, founders often take too much on themselves. The other point I would say is get help. <laughs> Build a community around you. Um, <clears throat> because it, it, it really takes a community to build a company and doing it on your own is really tough and can be really lonely and there are ups and downs that you will face <clears throat> sometimes all in a day. <laughs> um, so, so look for that support because that'll help, help you really get to the point that you want to be at. That was a really interesting chat, James. It sounds like Julie's clearly seen a lot through her years in the industry, both in Silicon Valley and now in Australia. Yeah, I think uh, seeing a lot is just to say the least. Yeah, I mean, we recorded that chat with Julie um, a little while ago now, which, you know, all the stuff around Uber um, and harassment in the workplace there had come out, but even more, like so much more has come out since, which just really um, goes to show the importance of everything we were talking about and programs like SBE Australia and really um, pushing forward female founders and female-led startups and, you know, doing everything we can to support these kinds of programs and initiatives. Yeah, absolutely. It's sad that we keep having to have these conversations, but as we keep on seeing, it's important to have them in the first place. So thank you to Julie for coming in to chat with us about it. That's it for episode two of Glass Ceiling. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, um, leave us a review wherever you found this podcast, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other place where you can find podcasts. Leave us a review, rate us. I'm not going to say five stars, not going to pressure you Ooh. into doing that, but do whatever you think feels right. <laughs> You're too kind, Gina. <laughs> Um, if you also want to hear more from Startup Daily, we have a bunch of podcasts. You should check out a podcast that I do with our founder, Matt, called Startup Meets Corporate, which is all around the way that Australian corporates are innovating and looking to work with local startups. So check that out. Um, and you can find out everything else we're doing at startupdaily.net. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.